Welcome to the Uphill Athlete Podcast. These programs are just one of several free services we provide to disseminate information about training for mountain sports. If you like what you hear and want more, please check out our website, uphillathlete.com, where you'll find many articles and our extensive video library on all aspects of training for and accomplishing a variety of mountain goals. You'll also find our forum where you can ask questions of our experts and the community at large. Our email is coach at uphillathlete.com, and we'd love to hear from you. We've been very pleased and, of course, gratified that our podcasts are being received so enthusiastically. We've had requests to enable a way for listeners to have a conversation about episodes. We certainly welcome this idea and want to encourage those of you who do want to do that to do so on our forum so that the whole Uphill Athlete community can join in and benefit from this exchange. To do so, please start a new thread on the forum using the title of the podcast under the most appropriate category. Thanks for being part of this community. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Uphill Athlete Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Johnston, co-founder of Uphill Athlete, and I'd like to start doing something a little different with these podcasts. Um, I'm going to, you know, for lack of a better term, I'm going to call them training talks with Scott. And I think I'd, what I'd like to do is be able to do some deep dives into uh, subjects that I hear from our, our listeners and our users of the website that are of specific interest to them or that there's some that I perceive that there's some uh, un- confusion about how to uh, understand some of these ideas because I want to convey and hopefully we've done this through our books and on the website that the most important thing to make sure you're doing a good job with your training or whether you're or someone is doing a good job coaching you is are you improving of course that's number one and then how do you perceive your 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 training uh, load? How do you perceive your fatigue? How do you perceive recovery? Um, How does it all feel to you? Because I think it's very easy for us to get too much into our heads. Um, Our bodies are amazingly adept at giving us really good feedback if if we can learn how to analyze it. So some of the things I want to talk about in in the next couple of podcasts are related to that specific issue, because I do see kind of an, what I would say is kind of an over-reliance on collecting data. No, make no mistake, I'm, I like data. I think it's a, a good thing, um, but it only really useful for us if we can take advantage of, you know, let's say, use it as an objective measure that we compare against our subjective feelings about how things are going. And, you know, kind of so in one way, we're going to be going with our, our head and the other side is going to be going with our gut. Well, my experience over a lifetime of doing this and over 30 years of coaching this kind of thing is it's amazingly how good our gut works. And if we can uh, learn, and for many people, this is going to be a challenge. And I think especially today in our data-driven society where we have incredible technology, if we can learn to understand that feedback we're getting, we're going to end up with better results because then we can combine it with some of the data that we get and parse out, uh, I think, much more interesting and effective um, ways to train. So I'm going to start today 
with some methods to assess re, uh, recovery status. In other words, how prepared are you to train? Um, are you really fatigued? Are you really fresh? Uh, because the reason this is important, and I've, I've said this you know, numerous times before, but the reason this is so important is that the training, training is not just what you do. I mean, it's actually, that's only part of it. It's really how that, how what you do affects your body. How does it change your capacities and your fitness? And so just sort of blindly stumbling along with a training plan um, that is uh, kind of, that, that you're not paying attention to, just, just acting as if it was handed down from God, regardless of the feedback your body's giving you or regardless or without analyzing your, your recovery status is probably a pretty good recipe to a disaster. I've seen it happen many, many times over, and I'd like to help people prevent that from happening. So I'm going to talk about sort of what I don't like about the technology for monitoring recovery that's out there right now and why and what my experience has been using it. And also what some of my favorite tools are for analyzing recovery status, because this is really the key to getting better. I mean, if you apply too much training load before you have adapted and recovered from whatever the previous training load was, then you're not going to adapt to that. Your body just can't handle it. You know, given a long enough time and a gradual enough approach, we can adapt to incredible training loads. But if we try to ramp it up too fast, you know, we can't fool mother nature. We can only adapt at a certain rate. And I don't care who you are. I don't care, you know, how much intensity you add or, or how, how badly you need to be in shape in four weeks. That doesn't matter to your body. And so really being able to get a good handle and an assessment on, on your recovery status, I think is like the most critical part of doing a good job of managing your training or if you're coaching someone managing their training. So I'm going to start with the most common method that's out there today that has received a tremendous amount of um, publicity, press, I guess, uh, and, and a lot of marketing push. Then uh, that is the measurement of heart rate variability. Let me start by explaining what our heart rate variability is. Um, by the way, there, there, there is an extensive article with references and studies and all that on heart rate variability on the website already, and we'll put a link to that in the show notes so you can go to read that if you'd like some more information. I think I can hit on certainly most of the high, high points of that today. Um, so heart rate variability, as it sounds like, it's a variation in your heart rate. So let's take, for example, someone, and you, and you look at your watch, you've got your heart rate monitor on, and it says your heart rate is 60, 60 beats per minute. That doesn't mean that it beats exactly once every second. There is a variation in that beat. Sometimes it's going to be, you know, a, a few maybe thousands or tenths of a second longer than one second. Sometimes it will be a similar amount shorter. So that the variation averages out to 60 beats per minute. But if you took, if you measured, if you had the capability of measuring the interbeat uh, distance, time or interval, I would say, time interval, you'd see that it varies a bit. Now, that used to only be doable in a doctor's office on an EKG machine. And now it's baked into almost any watch that's you know, selling for probably over $300, I'm sure has some, some kind of heart, vari heart rate variability app 
built into it. Now, this is an incredible technological breakthrough that we can have, you know, almost an EKG machine at our, uh, you know, at our disposal in real time when we're out training or when you're checking your heart rate in the mornings. The problem is, I've found that it's not as reliable as it needs to be to accurately help you predict how you um, should be assessing your training and whether you're what I would call your preparedness to train. Um, now, and I'll, I'll, I'm going to dive into that, why I think that is. I'm, I'm certainly not an expert on this field, but I have had extensive experience with many athletes using heart rate variability. And I have to say, I was one of the earliest adopters. I, I, I would say certainly that I know of, and in my world, um, I started using heart rate variability, um, 15 years ago with some of the athletes it used to it initially it was only available in the very high-end polar watches i don't even remember the number now <clears throat> and they they called the app the own optimizer which is a clever name because it would help you help each person optimize their own training and i was as a coach i'm always looking for a way to some you know, get a read on the athlete's recovery and having another source of uh, recovery monitoring i thought wow what an incredible tool this could be and i immediately started having athletes i was coaching train that i was training use that and um and i bought in hook line and sinker and i was convinced wow this is and, and I abandoned, just to a large extent at that time, my reliance on the subjective feeling that I've been talking about. And that was, it came back to bite me really hard. Um, it, was, it, it, it was actually a really demoralizing time in my life because I overtrained some athletes um, and I've never forgiven myself for it. And I can't count the number of sleepless nights that went along with that mistake. But it did open my eyes to the fact that there can be a disconnect between that you know, amazing technological uh, development and the data that's collected with it and the, the actual preparedness of the athlete to train. And that's the disconnect I want to, to talk about next. And so the, print, the, the basic principle, and again, I'm no expert on this. I'm certainly no cardiologist and I'm not an app developer, but I'm a guy who's been in the trenches with this stuff for a long time <clears throat> playing around with it. And I've tried bunch of new apps you know on myself and had other athletes try them in the last few years and i kind of came to the same conclusion so here's my take on why this is a bit of a problem so the your heart rate and it by by uh, association your heart rate variability is a directly controlled by the autonomic nervous system so this is a system you really don't have any control over and it, it's automatic you know, so they, obviously when you go to sleep, you don't have to think about your heart rate. It just happens. The same with your breathing, same with your digestion. There are two components to the autonomic nervous system. Primarily is the sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system. And you can think of these as the sympathetic nervous system is what we might call the fight or flight uh, nervous response. So it would be when the saber-toothed tiger jumps out of the woods at you, you know immediately to run. It's going to elevate your heart rate. It's going to release, release um, uh, adrenaline. You're going to be prepared to sprint away for your life. The other end of that um, 
autonomic nervous system is the parasympathetic nervous system. And that's what is often referred to as the rest and digest system. It kind of turns down the volume on the nervous system. It's what happens at, in, at night for people. We tend to, our, our autonomic nervous system, the parasympathetic nervous system begins to take over and we get sleepy and that's to help us fall asleep. Now, you've all had experiences where your sympathetic nervous system didn't turn down enough during the night, uh, or maybe you couldn't fall asleep. And, and that's exactly what's going on in those cases. Your, your sympathetic nervous system is overstimulated, and it, the parasympathetic nervous system can't calm it down. So that's just a really quick, um, you know, not even neurology 101, but that's kind of how this system works. So what heart rate variability apps look at obviously is this variability in the heart rate. So they're essentially taking the pulse of or measuring your autonomic nervous system's status, um, status at any time. And it would seem like that would be a really great window into a person's uh, recovery status. And I, that's why I bought in hook, line, and sinker you know, almost 20 years ago with this stuff was I thought, wow, the, the, because we know that the nervous system is one of the most affected components. I mean, it's one of the things that drives fatigue more than any, anything else in the body. Obviously, there's different types of fatigue, and maybe at some point we'll, we can have a, a talk about you know, all those different types of fatigue because there are, there's metabolic fatigue and others. But the nervous system is one that, you know, because our nervous system is used so much in these high output activities that we tend to, to use, it takes a beating and it needs a recovery. So it would seem like if you measure the autonomic nervous system with this heart rate variability, you'd be getting a really good picture of you know, what's going on in there. And it would be an indicator that you know, if your heart rate variability was, and I'll talk about what, what's good and what's bad with heart rate variability, I mean, in terms of what you should be looking for, um, but, but if it indicates that you are um, not recovered, you would think, I would like to believe that it would really truly indicating that and that you are actually ready for a rest and you shouldn't be going out and doing your training. Now, for a, a bunch of reasons, and probably most of which I couldn't even begin to explain, that doesn't happen reliably enough so that you or your coach can blindly use heart rate variability as a uh, predictor of your preparedness to train. Why does that happen? I'm only speculating, but my hunch is that we're, because we are such an incredibly complex organism and we have various mechanisms that result in fatigue, that just measuring one of those systems, the autonomic nervous system, often doesn't give us the cleanest picture that, you know, that, that it, it is, especially that it's presented as that. And unfortunately, I think, I mean, with, as with anything, there's a lot of marketing behind this and these, the watchmakers want to put, you know, more and more stuff into their watch because they're in a, you know, marketing battle with other companies. And this is something that has now, come, you know, the little chips that they can use to measure this have suddenly come way down in price or not suddenly in the last few years. So they've just, they're, they're sticking in there. So it's like a, a battle uh, to who can provide the most stuff in their watch. 
I'm sure you've seen all this stuff. And in some cases, they even tell you, oh, you need, you know, 18 hours to recover from this. Or they're going to tell you the next day, oh, you're, you're recovered, ready to go. They give you like a plus one or a plus two or negative one, whatever, as a, as a measure of your preparedness to train. Now, I found in collecting a lot of data and then looking at studies that have been done on real athletes in real world situa situations for long periods of time, that heart rate variability would, is in remarkably uh, accurate in what we would call back casting. In other words, if you looked back over the last two months and you correlated the heart rate variability readings you got in the morning when you woke up with your perception of your fatigue and how that training that day went, you would see a correlation of probably 90%. And anybody that knows anything about statistics, an R squared of 0.9 is as good as gold. I mean, that basically says, wow, there's a perfect, almost a perfect correlation between these two sets of data. The problem is 90% isn't good enough for us. Um, we need 100% accuracy because we want to use it for forecasting. We don't want to look at what happened. We need to know is, are you ready today to do this training? And that's where it has stumbled in my, my experience because 90% isn't good enough. If it tells you you are tired and you, know, you should rest, but you actually say, well, I actually feel pretty darn good, then that's going to screw up your, your, the, the training for the day or could very well be. Um, and the opposite is true. I mean, if it might tell you you're just doing fine, and that's what happened with me and the athletes that I overtrained, was that it told me I was doing great, and they were doing great. And, uh, you know, I was feeling like, a, you know, a hero coach. I'm, oh, man, they're just getting stronger and stronger, and the heart rate variability is really good, and blah, blah, blah. And then the wheels came off because it didn't help me. It didn't provide that uh, forecasting uh, capability that I needed. And so I got lulled into believing that all I had to do was look at the heart rate variability every day and say, okay, you're ready to go without really assessing the athlete's feelings of how, or feeling of how prepared they were to handle whatever the training load we had scheduled for the day was. So what, what should have been a coach's dream turned into a coach's nightmare, at least for me. Um, and you know, I, and I can only, I take the blame fully. This was not the vault fault of polar watches by any means. I think I just was too, uh, too easily swayed that the data collection would solve all my problems and take away the, the, the some of the challenging decisions that needed to be made on a day-to-day -day basis with regards to training them. Now, the, the fact that the, the heart rate variability, um, it can be you know, measured in real time, can be measured you know, any time during the day. Um, and the fact that the autonomic nervous system is remarkably responsive to stress, you would think, again, that it would paint this really cool picture, very accurate picture of, of how, how stressed you are. And so that's its feature, but it's also what I think is a bug. And because it responds so rapidly, what I have seen many times over now is that the athlete's agitation state at the time of the test has a dramatic effect on the test, test results. And you know, in my case, as soon as these athletes began to realize, hey, I'm getting tired, I'm getting overtrained, I'm not recovering, then every time I insisted, I kept 
pushing them to take these tests. But every time they take one of these tests, they would take the test in a, a rather stressed state because they, were, they knew that the readings were probably going to come back bad. And of course, then they got well worse. The, you know, they, the re result of the heart rate variability test would be worse. Um, by the way, the, in a fit, rested athlete, the variability between beats in the heart rate is larger than it is in a tired or unfit individual. And that might sound like the opposite of what you would expect, but that does that is to what happens. So we, what you would see is that a high heart rate variability score would say, oh, this athlete's prepared to handle a big training load. Whereas a low variability, heart rate variability score would say this person needs to take a rest day. That's essentially how this stuff works. So what I, again, what I found was that this was causing anxiety on the part of the athletes. And I've experienced this exact same thing when I've tested the, the heart rate variability apps on myself. And I've heard this story from you know, hundreds of athletes who's, who've had to have tried and then rejected the, the, the use of them because it made them anxious. <laughs> they, they, they lie down there and think they've got a big workout today. They know that, that they need to get a good test and they're supposed to lie down for a couple of minutes, three minutes, five, up to five, some of these tests. And they're supposed to relax and see how low they can get their heart rate. Heart rate, But what if you're anxious about that workout? That, oh man, this is a super demanding or important workout. Um, and I know it's going to be tough and I need to be ready. Well, that's only going to screw up the heart rate variability reading. So, but, <clears throat> excuse me, so much so that I think it pretty much invalidates it. And I'll give an example here in, in a few minutes of that. But that's my supposition as to why this, these things don't, work quite as well as they as they should you know it's i'm excited by the technology i would i'd give you know almost anything to see this work because it would make my life and my job and the job of all the coaches i know much much easier if all we had to do was look at one number and then assign a training load for the day unfortunately it uh, doesn't exist one of the places where i think heart rate variability does have a role is for non-athletes people who are not engaged in heavy training because it's so good at measuring autonomic stress then and, and we all carry some stress of course i think it can paint a quite a good picture for someone who's not undertaking a lot of physical stress but maybe is under a lot of psychological or mental emotional type stress and that because that will dramatically affect your heart rate variability but you're not going to be dealing with some of these overlaying factors like uh, metabolic fatigue, for, for instance. And so there's where I see it really useful. And I think for, so for the average uh, heart rate variability app user, that's a, that would be a great market and a great tool, I think. I mean, I've not had a lot of experience with it, but it makes sense to me that that would be a great place to use it so that, you know, if you have a really stressful job, stressful life uh, situation, it might tell you, hey, you really need to do some meditation <laughs> the next day or so. Um, and I, that's where I think it'd be, it's pretty cool. Um, so where have I come down? I mean, you, you hear where I've come down on this, of course. I, it's, I, I, I think I've made that really clear. And I've got other examples that are in that article that I wrote about. Um, but how do I like to assess uh, an athlete's preparedness to train? And... So with a, a highly trained, very experienced athlete, especially one that 
I have a lot of experience working with, we can rely almost entirely on their perceived fatigue level and or or perceived preparedness to train. How do they feel when they wake up in the morning? Do they feel energetic and feeling good? Um, and, and we can base a lot of our training decisions on that. And we also have a history knowing that, okay, when they do this type of training, that's going to stay in their body for two or three days. So we better respect that. And we need to go light for two or three days to allow them to absorb that training load before we start applying another heavy training load. And so that's ideal. But that's not going to work for most people. And I'll, I'll explain why. First of all, you may not have a coach that you've worked with for you know, six or eight years and who's gotten to know you really intimately and can make, help you make those kinds of decisions. Um, the other thing is you may be kind of just getting started in systematic uh, structured training and you may not really understand that feedback that your body is giving you about how tired you are and are you ready to train. And there can be some false negatives, I, I think, we, we've, um, or even false positives with this. I, I, going back to the, the high-level athlete, and I think this is a tool that every um, athlete can use themselves, is if you have any doubt whatsoever about how you're feeling in terms of that preparedness, do a warm-up. And start your warm-up slowly. Let your aerobic system kind of come online slowly. Build up in it. And give yourself 10, 15 minutes and see how you feel. And usually during that time, it's going to become much more clear as to how your body is responding to the stress of training. And then you can make the decision to say, okay, it said I was supposed to go do these hill repeats today or this muscular endurance workout. Man, my, I, don't, I just don't feel I have the energy for it. And that feeling could be coming from a bunch of things. You know, maybe you are stressed about work. Maybe, it's, maybe you're carrying physical fatigue from the training load. Um, there's, there's a lot of ways that this, could be, this stress could be manifesting itself. And as you've probably heard me say before, stress is stress. Our body's response to, to emotional or mental stress is the same as it is to physical stress. So it's pretty hard to parse those two things out. And it doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter whether it's a result of physical stress or mental stress. It, what, what matters is your body is telling you, hey, I'm not really ready to absorb this training. Now, most of us in, who are involved in, in, in almost every athlete I've ever met who's involved in an endurance sport, and I think especially with these mountain sports that, that we deal so much with, they're kind of a type A overachiever. So not a kind of, they pretty much are type A overachievers, I would say. And they're the last thing they're going to want to do is not do the training that was prescribed for that day. I tell folks like who have that personality bent, which I have, and I guess most of the people I've ever worked with do have that. I've, I've only met one or two lazy endurance athletes in my life. They were incredibly talented and rose to very high levels, but remarkable in their uh, you know, laziness about training. Um, so they're the exception, not the rule. But the problem that we're going to have is that if you disregard that, or if you let your ego or your compulsion tell you, oh, I need to get out there and train today, um, and you, you be kind of become sort of a slave to that training plan without using, you know, being flexible enough to, uh, to, to change on a, on, a, on, a, on a dime, then you're probably going to end up with some problems. So a, a really simple tool for this assessment is during that warm-up or even before if you have even any doubt about whether you're ready to do the training that day, 
you pro that's probably your body sending a really as, as good a message as it can other than hitting you between the eyes with a two by four to say, Hey, you're not, I'm not ready, not ready to handle that training. And so you should be very cautious when that happens. You should, when, when you have some doubts, like low, and the biggest way to measure that doubt is low motivation. You know, most people who do the kinds of things we do are highly motivated, driven, somewhat compulsive in their behaviors with stuff like this. And if you feel low motivation and you're that kind of personality, then you should say, hmm, this is feedback. I need to honor that feedback. I need to listen to it and see how it goes. Now, the beauty of this type of an assessment is if you're wrong and you take it easy on that day that you're doubtful, the worst that can happen is you miss a day of training, but you're going to feel so good the next day that you can probably hop back into training. On the other side of the balance, what can happen is you're, you see this workout that your coach has written or that's in a training plan that you're using or a training plan that you have built. And it says you're supposed to do X, Y, and Z today. And you have this doubt and you think, hmm, okay, I'm tough. I can do this. I go out and do it. And if you're not prepared for it, you know, and if you assessed properly, but you mis disregarded the signals you're receiving, there's a really good chance that that workout that you hoped was going to be making you fitter is actually going to make you less fit. Just going out and getting tired is not the same as getting fit. Now, that's a little bit of a misstatement because in our endurance sport world, the way we get fitter is by getting tired. Um, it's, very, it's different than, let's say, a high skill sport. Uh, you know, let's say like golf or tennis or rock climbing. I mean, you do need to get tired in, in some of those sports or certainly in rock climbing. But if you want to learn high skills and you want to function at a really high level in your, let's say, climbing training, rock climbing training, then you can't do every workout fatigued or you just won't get any better. Um, but with, you know, with training for, let's say, a mountaineering event or uh, ultra distance run, trail run, then, yeah, you're kind of carrying fatigue with you a lot. And you need to, but that's where, that's why re understanding how to assess how much fatigue is handled, how much can you handle, how much, uh, when is um, too much, and when should you back off. So aside from using, that's my first go-to is, do you, are, do you have any doubts about whether you should train today? If so, take a very gradual warm-up, apply the stress, the physical stress kind of slowly, and then make a decision out there. You know, maybe you can still go for you know, a, a nice easy run that day instead of doing the hill repeats that you had in plan or the, the, the intervals or whatever they are. Um, you can still get a value, a value out of that session this is what I used to do with athletes that I coached when I was, you know, with them every single day is I would assess them before I got hooked on the heart rate variability. And then after I abandoned the heart rate variability, I would look in their eyes. I would watch their body language. I would see, you know, how talkative are they? How chipper are they? Um, that can tell you a lot. And I could then make this assessment. And especially during the warm up, I could then say, hey, you know something, we're not doing that workout today. We're changed. We're doing something different. Because I would notice that hey, that person does not look like they're ready to handle what I had planned for them. So, anyway, that's my first rule that I like to apply. Then the the other one that I think, there's a couple of others, but I'm, they're pretty, they're pretty these, the next two are basically the same. And these are ones that were um, shown to me. Oh, I guess probably now, gosh, I'm 40 some years ago. Um, and they were shown to me by a 
very high level physiologist and was a U.S. ski team doctor. And I had access to him when I was um, skiing racing. And <clears throat> he developed these really low stress tests that would help us decide how, uh, how prepared we were for training. And I'll, I'll tell you the test that he, I'll tell you both the tests. Well, I'll tell you the first test he, he gave us because it's really the one he gave us. And then I kind of have modified it a little bit to make it even simpler. So the first test he did was we would, you know, get up in the morning, we would, and this was in the early eighties was when uh, portable heart rate monitors were just coming out. In fact, so everybody on the ski team had these big clunky um, polar heart rate monitors. I mean, they were the size of cell phones, really strapped to your wrist. And you know, they, they, didn't re they didn't record data um, and they didn't have a screen that recorded data. They recorded the data, but then you had to hook it to a computer to actually see what was going on. Um, and that didn't take long before they changed it, of course. But so we were all into using these heart rate monitors because it was so cool that you could you know, watch your heart rate out training. Um, and we would put our heart rate monitor on with a chest strap. Back then, they didn't have any of these optical wrist-based heart monitors. And then we would step up and down on a small step. It, and it doesn't, didn't really matter how big the step was. It just, you, want, you needed to elevate your heart rate and uh, so hold it there for maybe a minute. So it's a very low stress test. So even if you're tired, this is something that shouldn't cause too much of a sympathetic nervous response. Um, so your heart rate would elevate, but maybe, you know, you're, you're, for people like us, um, our resting heart rate would be, you know, sometimes in the low forties, even or lower. And then we'd step up and down on this step for a minute or so and elevate the heart rate to over a hundred. So quite a significant bump, but, but, but with quite low stress and, and you might, you might have to step faster or slower to, to, to see this this gain, but you kind of need to get it up there where it's starting to cause your, your breathing to increase a little bit. And then when we got it there and we would turn around and immediately sit down and then measure what our heart rate had recovered to one minute later. And we began to collect this um, data for all of us and we could see, we could definitely see trends. I mean, it was remarkably accurate that just this tiny little stress for a couple of minutes was enough to indicate you know, how fatigued we were. So if your heart rate goes up to 100 and normally in a minute it would drop back down to 50, but on that day it drops down to 70, you know you're tired because that means your sympathetic nervous system is overactive and something is jacked it up. It's, and usually it's jacked up, you know, if it's not because you drank too much coffee or it's not because you had an argument with your, your spouse, it's probably jacked up because of the training you did the day before that has still got your sympathetic nervous system kind of in overdrive trying to uh, catch up. So that was a really simple test. And I would give that a score of, you know, much better than heart rate variability for accuracy. It, you know, it isn't, it isn't as simple as putting your heart rate monitor on lying down on the bed for a few minutes. You have to actually do something, but it's portable. You can do it pretty much anywhere. Um, the, the size of the step, obviously, you don't want to be one day using a two-foot step, another day using a six-inch step. That's going to probably not work quite as well. So I took that idea that Jim had showed me, and 
I created another test that I and other coaches I know have used, and I call it the stairs test or the stair test. And maybe I, I think I've written about it perhaps on the website. I'm getting old and I've written a lot of stuff, so I kind of forget where, where and what I've written. Um, but this one is most of us are in our daily routine at some point going to have some stairs that we can climb or do climb. I mean, maybe even you climb them multiple times in a day. And what I would what I ask my athletes to do, and this, you know, doesn't even require a heart monitor. And that's why it's so, so easy to apply and you can do it almost anywhere is climb a set of stairs and then see what your feel, what your legs feel like at the top of those stairs. Now, there are going to be days when you feel weightless and you can bound up a set of stairs, two or three stairs at a time. You get to the top and you just feel fresh as a daisy. Okay, that's what we might call an A day. I mean, you're fully recovered. You're ready to handle a really significant training load. And that's great. And that's what we'd like to see, of course, every day. It usually doesn't happen. At the other end of the scale, we're going to call it an F, where you plod up the stairs one at a time. By the time you get to the top, your breathing has increased and your legs are feeling kind of heavy and flushed. And that would be a day when you'd say, I need a recovery. I need some recovery, whether it's, you know, maybe today all I'm going to do is some foam rolling on my legs or some yoga, or I'm going to get a massage. I'm going to go for a really easy swim or maybe a spin on a bicycle, but I don't need to go out and do intervals today, or it would be a really bad mistake to do that. So, the, the way that you, you will need personally to take some ownership in this, which is you know, why it's different than the heart rate variability test, because the heart rate variability device is just telling you what you should think. This requires, both of these tests requires you know, some interpretation. The, the first one, the step test, is a little more data-driven. Um, but during that one minute of stepping in up and down on the box, or maybe it's two minutes, it doesn't really matter how long it is. You want to be consistent, do the same test on a daily basis. But during that two minutes, you may very well get the same sort of feeling that you would get climbing a set of stairs in terms of being able to subjectively determine how your legs feel. But this stairs test is almost entirely subjective. And I'll, I'm going to get into why I think that's such a great thing for for you, for, for all of our, the athletes, um, any, any endurance athlete should, be, should have, be, have that ability to assess things subjectively. But when you do these, this subjective assessment by climbing these stairs, chances are you're going to be somewhere in the middle between the A and the F. You know, your legs are going to be a little tired. You know, but, and so that's the trick for you then is to determine how tired is too tired or how, uh, how and when should you pay attention to that. And the only way to do that is with experience, is to, you know, on a day when you kind of would give it a C, um, oh, my legs are kind of tired, but they don't feel that bad. So go do the training that day and see what happens. You know, and if you feel terrible and you're, you know, kind of a crummy workout, you had to cut it short or whatever, then you go, oh, okay, I need to pay attention to this. On a day like that, I should plan on something fairly light. Maybe it's going to be, you know, a one hour easy recovery run um, or, I might just say, okay, I'm not doing the intervals that day. I'm doing something lighter. But the only way you can get that is with your, uh, you know, by, by sort of collect, you can, you can, I like to keep a training log. I hope most of you have learned to keep a training log. You put your notes in there, rate that scale. You know, a, if you rate this, this, the tests, the stair test scale, A through F, and you work out 
rate the workout quality A through F, pretty soon you're going to see a very strong correlation between those two. And in fact, in my experience, it is 100% accurate. I, I, I've never really seen false feedback coming this way. Now, the problem is this does require you to be sensitive. Um, you can't, you're not just looking at some number on a watch dial. You have to determine how much is too much and you know, how tired you are. But, and this comes around to my final point that I want to make is that, and I started with this where, you know, when I'm working with a very advanced athlete and especially someone I've been coaching for years and years, we can go a lot off of their perception and you know, they may not even need to do the stairs test. They might be able to get this feeling, you know, just from walking around or you know, during their warm up. Um, although I do, uh, when I when I suspect someone's tired, I'll ask them to do the stairs test. Like, I, like if we do an especially demanding workout, like a big muscular endurance workout, I'm going to ask them to do the stairs test for a couple of days afterwards, so I can see if if and how they're recovering. So this is this requires you. Um, to take ownership in this and understand your um, how your body is responding, but and I'm going to get into this in my next little chat with you. I think that's the most important thing that you need to learn as an athlete is how to judge whether you're tired or not, because we are caught up in you know a very fast world and people are super busy. And we tend to be these type A overachievers and we have an ego and we have some compulsions probably around training and exercise. And, and I'm not speaking, I'm not talking negatively about compulsions. I mean, I think, you know, anybody who wants to go out and run a hundred mile race has to be pretty compulsive. So I think you get what I'm saying. I'm not being derogatory here. Um, but when we have those kind of compulsions and we have an ego, all of us do, it's so easy for these, you know, whether it's FOMO, you know, the fear of missing out thing. My friends are going to go do this today. I mean, man, my legs feel really heavy and dead, but I don't want to miss out on this ski tour. I'm going to go do it. We're, we all have those challenges built into our life. And being able to assess like, okay, go for that ski tour, but just understand that, you know, you're, you, in your leg, if your legs feel as crummy as you think they do right now, this probably isn't the best training decision. Maybe it's a great social decision and there's nothing wrong with that, but maybe you should think, okay, I'm going to need like three days off after this ski tour because I'm, I'm pretty tired going into it. I know this is going to put me under a bit. I better be ready to rest. But that sort of feedback that is not data-driven, that is very subjective, is I believe, like I said in the beginning about the, the high-level athletes, I think it's the most important tool that an athlete has at their disposal. So I'm advocating for you to take the time to learn how to assess this, learn how to um, listen to your body. I mean, that's a, I know that's a hackneyed phrase, but I, I really think it's true. Learn that those skills, and it will make you a much better athlete in the, in the long run. And, and this is to wrap things up there. That is why we have spent so much ink talking about the theory and methodologies of training and then, and then uh, how to assess fatigue. You know, it's in the books. It's, and we put a huge weight on that kind of stuff. We don't just talk about, oh, you need to go to the track and run, you know, eight, eight hundreds at this pace to get this fast. I mean, that's cool if you could do it. I mean, there's, that's a, that, that is a training method, but only if you're ready to, to do that training. 
Um, and I think that's what often gets left aside in training discussions is, you know, are you ready to handle it? And these are the, these are the two best tools I have come up with. And I know I'm going to catch flack from the heart rate variability industry over this. I've already, when I wrote that article a few years ago, I've caught a lot of flack from the heart rate variability industry over that. And I have shown them published data from you know, real world athletic. One of them you, you can read about, we'll put it in the show notes, but it's in that article where the, um, these researchers in France studied the French biathlon team. For those of you who don't know biathlon, that's skiing and shooting. Um, and they did, did over a thousand tests with these athletes to, with heart, excuse me, heart rate variability tests during a, a, a normal or a training period. And the, the result of the tests, there was, the correlation was so bad that their, their conclusion was, this is kind of worthless. And of course, the people that are selling these heart rate variability apps don't want to hear that. Um, so when the heart rate variability apps get as good as I hope they do, I'm going to be full in on them. But until then, I encourage you to use these kind of methods that I've been talking about. And the, not only for the, the, the assessment of your fatigue, but I think just becoming aware of your body will be a helpful thing. So I'm going to wrap that up for tonight. And we'll talk some more soon. I've got some other ideas I would like to pass on. I hope that you found this useful. I know for some people will want to go down in the weeds like this with me. Other people might just scan through this and decide, oh, not so, it's not so sexy stuff to talk about. But I'm trying to you know, fill a need here that I think might exist. So um, I hope that, it, that you found it enjoyable. Thanks. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about what we do, please go to our website, uphillathlete.com.